Thanks for tuning in to the Habitation Podcast. Habitation exists to see a generation minister to the Lord and become His dwelling place on the earth. A people so captivated by the Psalms 132 vow that they will not rest until the whole earth becomes His habitation. So we've been uh, extremely intentional as a, as a house to be, to be slow to speak on future plans because I think it exposes our pursuit. It exposes our, our, our desire. And honestly, I think what God is, you know, as a leader, what I'm learning, what I'm growing in is there is a pressure, I think, as a leader to tell you what's next. But I think God wants to deal with the what's next mentality, right? Like what if, and, and I just wanna read this to you, what if we never discussed future plans for the next two years? Listen, but every Sunday, every prayer room, every weight class, every family group, we never change the channel. We continue to experience God, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, the power of his word. Would that be enough for this community? I believe that what God is asking in this hour is I desire a community that sees me as enough for them with no additions. So when our hearts, listen, are set in that place, he will speak. The purity of heart provokes him. I wrote it down like this this week. We can shake, dance, yell all we want, but the loudest voice before the Lord is the motive, intention, and purity of heart. So while, listen, most of the world, and I said it, is, is picking what their New Year's resolution is gonna be, we have already made our decision what our resolution is. And we're not changing that resolution from 2021 to 2022. We're not changing our decision of what we're pursuing and who we are from 2021 to 2022. And I think that this is what God is asking of a people in this hour is can you be consistent with this? One thing we seek and one thing we desire. If I get up here every single week and repeat the same verse every single week like I honestly do, we have one thing that we seek and one thing we, okay, we get it, but what's next? No, 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 you're missing it. We only have, there's only one thing. There's only one thing we seek and one thing we're pursuing that we may behold the beauty of the Lord and dwell in his temple all the days of our life. And as we behold him, we're simply gonna become like him. And if a generation can catch on to consistency, if a generation, if, if my generation who needs everything new and needs it fast, and we love that everything is available quickly, if our generation can catch on to there's something steadfast God wants to bring us into for the sake of something that's bigger than ourselves like our children. There's a consistency to, I will give my life for one thing, not the first thing on a list of many things, but one absolute thing. We are resolute about that one thing that we want a place that God comes and dwells in. He will, listen, we will never be a what's next people, but we will be an only thing people from one generation to the next. And this is what our generation needs and our kids need is they need our consistency. Amen. I heard a great apostolic leader say it like this. The apostolic always builds for the coming generations. Their goal is not quick growth in numbers. Their goal is longevity. Apostolic leadership is, is most, most often rather annoyingly patient because wisdom rests on them. They've learned that instant gratification can actually multiply sorrows. I need you to listen to this. Instant gratification can actually multiply sorrows and delayed gratification is often for your benefit. What do I mean? Sometimes we have a desire to have something. Maybe it's the next thing, it's the new thing. I added that part, but getting that thing might be out of season. So God will make you sit on that desire until he becomes your only desire, right? So when that thing comes, your heart doesn't move from him. Delayed gratification to those that have wisdom upon them is a beautiful thing. Because what God is interested in is not the things, what God is interested in is the motive of your heart. That's the only thing that's before his ears. It's what he's been saying to me all week. The only thing before my ears. He doesn't speak English or Aramaic or Greek or Hebrew. What God speaks is what is our heart saying before the throne. 
what is burning within our heart, what is the intention and the motive of our heart before God's throne. And God wants to deliver this thing inside of us. And I'm not talking about the beating organ. Whenever the scriptures talk about your heart, that word heart in scripture means mind. The mind and the heart are not two separate things. God's not talking about a squishy brain and a squishy organ in your chest. He's talking about that thing that controls you, that thing that creates thought patterns, that creates belief systems, that creates a lifestyle, right? So what God is interested in is God is not interested in, in, in just empty words. Actually, we're judged by every word we say because he's going a little bit deeper than that and saying, what is your heart saying? Right, and so delayed gratification, it tests our hearts. And I feel like for me personally, just being really vulnerable. The past six months has been, you know, we, what, what God has done here is amazing. What God has done with this community and bringing communities together is unbelievable. It's, it's of biblical proportion, right? But you get, you get hit with this busy and the weight and all of the stuff that the responsibility of leadership holds and all of the, the responsibility of, of the needs of the people and all of the things that God honestly has, has entrusted to leaders. And slowly but surely this, this thing begins to take place where you have intimacy with God and that intimacy produces a blessing, right? Like how many of you are married, all right? How many of you have kids? Keep your hands raised. All right, so you were intimate at some point to have children, correct? We're not gonna do the birds and the bees today with our kids in here, but you were intimate and that produced life. It produced, it birthed a child. It produced blessing. And sometimes as, as parents, we get so caught up in taking care of the blessing from God that we forget about the intimacy that brought the very blessing. And then we have to have marriage counseling. Anyone, anyone know what I'm talking about? Well, this is the same thing in our Christian life is there's intimacy with God. And everyone usually can identify what that season was. For me, that season was I was in a warehouse packing boxes with delayed gratification. Words spoken over me. Listen, when you're Benny Hinn's nephew, everyone tells you you're called to the nations and you're gonna do this, this, and this because it just makes sense. It's never you're gonna just have a nine to five and then be Jesus at your nine to five. It's never that. It's always, you know, we're gonna to go to the nations and be irresponsible and not take care of our families, right? So we won't get into that today, okay? But I had all of these prophetic words over my own life growing up and then none of it is coming to pass. And I'm on a assembly line packing boxes in a warehouse in Richardson, Texas. And there was no air conditioning and we had just moved to Texas and I guess I didn't really realize that it can actually get to 115 and then down to 15, what is happening? <laughs> like literally yesterday morning, I went outside and I had to take my sweater off because it was warm and then I went out at night and I'm like, this is, there is a bipolar situation in Texas <laughs> and my sinuses cannot handle this. Anyways, but there's something about the beauty of delayed gratification, of God saying, though the vision tarry, wait for it. And that delayed gratification, what it does is it pulls your pursuit out of you. It pulls your desire out of you. And then all of a sudden you forget that you're in a warehouse and God's with you on the assembly line and you say, Lord, if all I have for the rest of my life is union with you, that's enough. Right, because we go into the closet and we, we behold the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob face to face and then we have the nerve to say, what's next? And we want the next deep revelation. I remember the Lord told me we have deep wells with no water in it. We want the next revelation without living out the last one. And so with that being said, we, we as a family, as a community, are not moving on to anything. We don't have new vision to share you our five-year plan. We just don't have it. What we have is, is that we've identified the shepherd is among us and we're gonna follow him at all costs. 
And if, and if he doesn't move, we don't move. And if he starts moving, we just stay as close as we want. That's called the fear of the Lord. When I was little, I, I, I think I've told you guys this, I would hold my mom's belt loop everywhere that she went because I was scared. And I was the youngest, so they always forgot about me. You know what I'm saying? And so, you feel that hurt come out? No, I'm just kidding. I, I had a great, honestly, I was the favorite babied. Cosi knows that clearly. Uh, I, would, I would hold my mom's belt loop in stores. My mom would be like, where's William? And I'm holding her belt loop everywhere she went because I was afraid to lose my mom, right? This is the fear of the Lord, is you just, you, you hold on, you fasten yourself to him. That's what it means, those that are led by the spirit. That word led is those that are fastened to him. Those that have attached themselves to him and I'm not letting you go. You, if you start running, I guess I'm running. If you stop, I'm stopping. If you walk slowly, I'm gonna just walk slowly, but one thing's for sure, I'm gonna hold on to the hem of your garment and I'm not gonna let go of your garment. And so there is this fear of the Lord that God is bringing us into, and I, you can feel the weight of the people, okay, what, so what's, what is it? What is coming? What, you know, what is next? What is trans, what is, what is, what is, what is? He is. Amen. And until you believe that he is, you're gonna go in a circle for the rest of your life chasing things that are not worthy of the one thing. There is only, everyone say it, one thing, one thing. There's only one thing worth pursuing and he has a name and he's a man and we will forever pursue him. He's the ancient of days, he's the beginning and the end. Listen, he's the bright and the morning star. He is everything. We don't need anything else other than Jesus being present with us and we're simply gonna go, you are enough. And if that can be the pursuit of this house, then when we say, God, we want you to inhabit us, all of a sudden, the, the collateral blessing becomes everybody gets healed when the shepherd shows up. Everybody gets delivered. And we don't have to make a plan on how we're gonna accomplish that. We have to make our aim him. And so when every leader is trying to give you something to hold on to in the church, you go to websites today and it's like, what is your experience gonna be like today? And, I'm, and I love the church, but I'm protective over the ecclesia that Jesus talked about on a rock. Because we're beginning to veer and you feel the pressure of the beginning to veer and God is gonna say, no, I'm gonna take that pressure and I'm gonna take presence and it's gonna cause an explosion to take place. But that, let, let's tell you what your hour is gonna be like today. Oh my gosh. Guys, we went an hour and 47 minutes at Christmas Eve and I was like, that is the greatest accomplishment we have ever done as a church. I mean, the fact that my dad actually went 45 minutes was an absolute Christmas miracle. It was a Christmas miracle. And I think to myself, how do they do it? How do you put the glory of God in a box? And you can have vision forever and it'll keep everybody happy in the box. But there's a whole world called the kingdom of God that will teach you, it'll lead you, it'll heal you, it'll restore you. If we can just get the aim right. You can aim at everything in the world and get 10,000 people to rally around 50 plans, but there's only one plan that can change your life. What I'm entitling today is the bread of affliction. I want you to write it down. Bread of affliction. Whenever you're in a season of transition, which not just the church, the whole world is in transition right now. Whenever you're in transition and you're, you're walking out of something old and into something new, you can't get around the fact that there's pressure involved in that vulnerability, right? This is something that's been a theme that I've been talking about for, for honestly months now. And two weeks ago, before Christmas Eve, um, we talked about the price of one generation paying for the sake of, of another generation and living in this transgenerational consciousness that would say, my children, to them, it'll be normal raising the dead because of a price we paid to begin to pray for them. Do you know what I'm saying? The, what nobody else wants to do, if we could do it, we may never see what we wanna see, but uh, 
the, the heart of the kingdom, the humility of the kingdom would say, but 14 generations after me, there's a seed, right? Like David, there's a seed called Christ, right? When God saw Abraham sitting in the desert, Abraham was alone, but Abraham was not alone, right? We've learned this. Abraham's sitting in the desert, and the, all the children of Israel are sitting there with him inside of one man. Even the Christ, the seed that would come through Abraham, that would go through David, that would go through Joseph, that would, that would go through Mary and hit the Lamb of God in the natural, God wrapped in skin, started because the faithfulness of one man in a desert saying, I will not live for myself. One man in a desert saying, I will not pursue something that I will be satisfied, maybe my own, but the delayed gratification of God, you're gonna, you're gonna do something generations after me out of my womb. There's gonna be something generations after me that you will always be called the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That is a wild thought. And so there's, there's something, there's a, there's a pressure for the sake of something beyond ourselves. Are you with me? And, and, that, and that exiting of the old and coming into the new, for some might be mindsets and, and thinking patterns. For some, it might be something natural and physical. Only you can identify it within your own life. But I can tell you as a community, if I've been entrusted to be a soul watcher over a community, I can feel it on this house in worship. I can feel the affliction of the people. Forget what corporately is happening. I'm talking about your personal life, the affliction of your personal life. Maybe it's your children. Maybe it's what you're going through. But I'm telling you, there is a pressure that is building, but it's only going to launch you into something. And like I said, listen, if it's like, you remember in, in Ecclesiastes 3.10, it says that God has given a travail to man to be exercised in. You remember when I ministered that? That there is a God-given travail that has been given to man, God-given, given to man that they are to be exercised in. That word exercised is something coming out of you. Travail represents a woman that's pregnant, that's birthing a baby. And just like Hostie said, we are, as we transition this year, there is something prophetic of, you know, and any woman that's had a baby would understand the hardest part is just getting the head out. It's just, if you, as the head begins to crown, it's, you're not allowed to just stop then. You have to push harder then. I was in a corner crying. My wife, though, was a champion. And the doctor's saying, don't stop now. And I'm going, don't stop, don't stop. And I'm, I don't know what's happening. And there's stuff everywhere. And it is a mess, and it is not a pretty scene. All kinds of colors. <laughs> then I'm like asking the nurse, is this normal? I mean, the whole time. They're like, can you please be quiet? Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> the amount of times they told me to shh during the thing is, I'm praying shant, da, da, but in tongues, they're like, what is the matter with this guy? <laughs> and my wife is screaming. It's a whole scene, you know? Except when Ellie was born, I actually made a joke and she laughed Ellie out, so I think that's why, I think that's why Ellie's so happy. But, but it's not a pretty scene inside of the hospital room. It's a very frightening scene. I remember, actually, when Ellie came out, she was purple, and the, the thing was wrapped around her, what do they call it? The, yeah, that. It was wrapped around her uh, neck, and she was she was blue, and I'll never forget the doctor flipped her over by one, by one leg, and I'm like, hey, 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 and I, I don't know what I'm doing, you know? <laughs> and he unwraps the thing and all of a sudden flips her back and her color comes, and I'm like, and the, that moment of that anxiety that rises within you of like, hey, oh, and then all of a sudden you're crying and you're like, you hear that cry. Anyone know what I'm talking about? Like when you hear the baby cry, you're like, okay, it's alive. And there is this joy and this beauty that comes from what went from the messiest, dirtiest, confusing, scariest scene of your life, all of a sudden, you, you forgot about it all. You, you didn't even wipe the kid off first and you're holding it in your arms and it's not till 30 minutes later that you realize what is on my hands. 
Any parent know what I'm talking about? Some of the, the singles are like, I ain't ever having babies. But you're kissing its head and then, and it's unbelievable, right? Like I remember when William was born, I couldn't stop crying and I didn't even know why I loved the weir this weird looking thing so much. But it was like, I saw myself. I saw my wife, I saw our love made manifest inside of a child and all the travail, I forgot about all of it. And it became this fun story to share with everybody of our water broke and there was blood everywhere and it was crazy and it was disgusting. And, and the doctor was freaking out and screaming at us and we didn't know what to do. And then all of a sudden William showed up. And I don't remember all the dirty details. I just remember his head of hair being fantastic. <laughs> I'm thinking to myself, that is my boy. I mean, it literally came out like as if he did it like mine. It was perfect, <laughs> perfect. And then Ellie was bald. We don't know what happened to Ellie. I don't know what was happening. I didn't plan on talking about pregnancies, but, but there's this friction of transition that if used correctly, if you keep pushing, actually becomes the most beautiful thing that could ever happen to you. And the affliction becomes the bread that actually feeds you. We talked about it, Numbers 14, the children of Israel walk up and, and they're afraid. They don't know what to do. They're, they're about to enter a land with people they can't defeat. And God says, the giant is gonna be your bread. The very thing against you is gonna be the very thing that feeds you. So there is this, as we exit one year and we enter into a new year, there's this friction of transition. And I feel what God is saying to us corporately, will you keep pushing? Because without, listen, without in the Old Testament the bitter and the sweet, there was no anointing. The apothecary in the Old Testament, when they were instructed to create the anointing oil that would burn in the Holy of Holies before the Lord, you, the spices had to be both bitter and sweet. You couldn't have one or the other, and if it was too sweet and too good and we're always happy, it actually attracted flies. But it was combined, and it says that the apothecary would take bitter and sweet, and he would compound it together, kind of like crushing, you know? Like that pressing, that oil only comes from pressing, and wine only comes from crushing. We hear the Christian sayings all the time, but then it actually happens in our life, and the only thing that comes out of us is bitterness. But see, there's a compounding that takes place that actually produces the anointing on your life. We talked about this so many times, but God will take the very thing that came against you, the enemy meant for evil, and this is what turning it for good looks like, is God will take a, a molested child and he'll turn that child into a Holy Spirit fire-breathing child because they got saved by Jesus. They got, they got saved out of hell and into the kingdom of God, and all of a sudden they have a story in their mouth. And it's no longer the past, but it's a testimony now. Right, because you can have a past or you can have a testimony. And a past is this happened to me, a testimony is this happened to someone I don't know anymore. This happened to someone that I, I'm not aware of anymore because old things have passed away and all things have become new, but there's a reason why you still have a memory. There's a reason why he allowed you to remember it because that very thing should be a trophy in your life. Saying, look at what God's done for me. Remember in Revelation, it says, how do you overcome the accuser? By the blood of the lamb and the word, and the word of our testimony. Let him give you a testimony. Let him finish, listen, let him finish the story. Because if we really say, God, you're good, and we worship, you're so, so good. God is good, God is good all the time, until things are not so good. And it's in those moments of pressure that if you can learn how to worship, if you can learn how to praise. I think worship is more potent when it hurts. I think praise is more powerful when it's a weapon. I, I just, I think we have this idea in Christianity that it's all butterflies and rainbows and it's always pretty all the time. No, no, there is a bread called affliction. There is a life called live with him and suffer with him and that very thing is gonna make you an anointed walking bomb because you've been through something, you overcame something, and the Bible I read says to the overcomer, to the overcomer, to the one that doesn't stop pushing when the head is crowning. Are you with me? 
And so there is this pressure of transition and it's this, I'm gonna give you a travail because I need you to exercise the eternal kingdom out of your life. And what if eternity only comes out of us by the world and heaven colliding together inside of us and expecting the world to be joyful about heaven inside of you is deceiving. You are deceived if you think that the world is gonna love you. If you signed up, how many of you signed up for the gospel? Okay, 14 people. Todd, I need you to preach the gospel right now. Anyone sign up for the gospel? If you love Jesus, you signed up to die to yourself. You cannot have a resurrection without a death. Doesn't work. I mean, you can't even stand up and walk without first knowing what it's like to be on the ground and be helpless and hopeless. Right now, Benji's learning to walk and he's hitting everything, he's hitting himself, he's injuring people. (laughs) And you know what we do? We just keep letting him hurt himself over and over again because one day he's not gonna fall. You know, you teach your kid to ride a bike, you take the training wheels off. Of course they're gonna fall. But you're a father, you're a mother, you know you hold the seat. And you say, I'm still holding it. And they're all by themselves. There is a maturing, there is a growing up. There is something God is, wants to raise us up into that only comes by way of pressure. It only comes by way of suffering. It only comes by way of, of everything in the world coming against you and afflictions themselves will build you a house. Here's what I mean. One of my favorite, listen, one of my favorite, if not my, the favorite outside of Jesus himself, people in scripture is David. And in Psalms, listen, 132, which we have built this whole house on. We have built this church on Psalms 132. If you don't know it, tattoo it on your back if your parents allow you to do that. My dad won't let me get a tattoo till today. He says, I'll burn it off of you. I'm like, but I want one, you know? Anyways, um, he's a little old school. He wears jeans that have pleats in them. Uh, <laughs> takes him to the dry cleaners, but that's why we love Cito, you know what I'm saying? See, what would we do without Cito? Um, But Psalms 132, listen, I love it because it starts out, I actually believe Solomon, you know what, let's read it. It's just just fun to read. I actually believe that his son, Solomon, actually penned this. But David, it says this, verse one, Psalms 132, Lord, remember David, listen to this, and all his afflictions. Remember David and all his afflictions and how he swore to the Lord and vowed to the mighty one of Jacob, surely I will not go into the chamber of my house or go up to the comfort of my bed. I will not give sleep to my eyes or slumber to my eyelids until I find a place for the Lord. The dwelling place of the mighty one of Jacob, behold, we've heard about it in Ephrathah. We've heard stories about it. Listen, I love that. We found it in the fields. In other words, we found it where it was left in the woods. His presence just left in the woods. We found it there. Let us go to his tabernacle. Let us worship at his footstool. Rise, O Lord, to your rest. You and the ark of your strength. And it goes on and on, and it's beautiful, and it's my favorite chapter in the Bible. But there's something fascinating that Solomon begins to pen this, this vow that, I love what Corey Russell says, the vow that changed history. Solomon begins to pen this, and how he starts it out is remember David and remember his afflictions. In other words, remember how anointed that servant was that served you, that loved you, that gave his life for you, and how his afflictions, in in that affliction, there was a vow that was birthed in his heart that says, I'm not gonna even rest on my own. I'm not gonna even give my eyelids sleep until I find a place for God. And this man models something that, honestly, I'm not sure we see many men in scripture outside of the New Testament apostles actually walk out. He's this model for what was coming in the New Testament. If you follow the seed of Christ, actually it's one from Abraham, from Abraham, and then it gets to David, and inside of David, the seed of Christ splits between Solomon and his son Nathan. And David represents this king-priest man that is the, the, the foreshadow of Christ. But David can't do it unless he deals with the suffering and afflictions of Christ. And if you just study it, Saul did not deal with affliction, but David did. And David is, is picked as king when he's 
what scholars would say, probably somewhere around 15 years old. And for 15 years, he's anointed as king privately. And for 15 years, he deals with affliction. For 15 years, they would say, he, he runs from spears. He, he runs for his life. He pretends to be crazy. He lives in caves and in the woods. He's hunted to be killed, through, though he was innocent. His own men, remember the story, his own men want to stone him because they take all of their wives and children, and his own men turn on him. Later in life, he loses a son, then another one turns on him, and he has war after war and fight after fight, but you don't see this man change. Can I have the worship team come back up? You don't see this man change. And what's so fascinating about this man, David, is even when his wives and his kids are taken from him and his own people want to stone him, you know what his response was? Lord, should I go attack the army that took them? Like, could you imagine someone takes your family from you? I'm going to all of a sudden turn into Denzel Washington from every action movie I've ever watched. And I'm going to go get my family back, right? But this man... All of his, everyone's taken from him and everyone with him wants to kill him. And he goes, Lord, Lord, should I even go? Should I even go save my family? Lord, what do I do? And he inquired of God. In every season of his life, he inquired of God. In all of the pressure, every response in his life is he inquired of God. And he would write these Psalms before the Lord. And in Psalms 18, you get to this point where David is, and, and, it's, and it's right around when he gets delivered from Saul and delivered from all of his enemies and right before he becomes king. And in Psalms 18, it's penned and it says, Lord, I cried out to you in my distress. I cried out in my despair. And I love this. It says that the earth began to shake and the waves began to reel themselves back because one son is stressed out. He cries out to God in his weakness. He cries out to God in what he can't offer, what he doesn't understand. Lord, everyone is trying. I thought I was anointed king. Anyone in your life ever been confused of, but you said this, but this is happening? Anyone? But Lord, remember when I was a teenager and that guy with the beard came, put the oil on me, and I was better than all my brothers? What happened, remember? Remember? I'm in a freezing cave now, and my own people want to stone me. Lord, have you forgotten about me? And you see it in the Psalms. You see this tension of David of, oh, Lord, I love you. But Lord, remember, I'm still alive. And you see this affliction and this, it's like this anointing and this pressure on his whole life. The anointing and the pressure, the, the, the presence and the affliction, the presence and the pressure, and it produces this root, listen, it produces a root that forever the son of God would be identified as the son of David. Anointed king as a teenager has to wait what scholars would say 15 years. And he gets to this point where he says, I cried out to God in my distress. I cried out to God in the pressure in the head is crowning and I gotta keep pushing and I cried out to him, and God loved this man so much, this man after his own heart, that the earth began to shake. I mean, God came down. And it says this at the end of chapter 18, he rescued me because he delighted in me. Because God found a man, and I love it, God picked him before he ever did anything for God, which means he moved God's heart as a little shepherd boy in the fields of Bethlehem. He was famous in heaven before he was ever famous to the children of Israel. He was famous in obscurity before he was ever known. And what's fascinating to me is, is that nowhere in all of David's life do you see God coming to David saying, I want you to build me a house. Nowhere. Nowhere does God give instruction to David for David to build him a house. But David comes and he says, we haven't, listen, we haven't inquired of the presence of God in chapter 13 of First Chronicles. We haven't inquired of his presence since the days of Saul. We need to inquire of him again. This man knew how to inquire of God in every season. They bring the presence in, and then in 2 Samuel 7, you see the next phase of the story, and in 2 Samuel 7, he goes to the prophet Nathan, and he says, I, I wanna build him a house here. And Nathan says, do it, and he goes before God, and I love God's response. It actually, 
God responds to, to Nathan and, and he says this. Thus says the Lord, will you build me a house to dwell in? God didn't ask for it. I need you to see this. God didn't ask David for anything. And all David's ever dealt with is pressure and affliction and delayed gratification. All he's ever dealt with is everything coming against him until he finally has to fight enough and fight enough that he becomes what God always had called him to be. And he gets to this point where he says, Lord, in all of it, it's like my afflictions and the great anointing. It's, I want to build you a house. It's been what I've fought for my whole life. And God says, you want to do that for me? And I love God's response. I haven't dwelt in a house since the time that I brought the children of Israel out of Egypt. Even to this day, but have moved about from tent and in tabernacles and wherever I have moved the children of all, with all the children of Israel, listen, I have, ne I have, have I ever spoken a word? Like the Lord is literally responding to, to Nathan saying, have I ever spoken a word to anyone in all the tribes of Israel who I've commanded to shepherd my people saying, why have you not built a house for me? I mean, he literally tells Nathan, I need you to see something, Nathan. I didn't, I've never asked for this. And it so moves God's heart. It so moves the father's heart that this man who has been beat up in his life says, I'm gonna do this for you. Now God knows David can't do that for him. And he says, you go tell my servant David, I took you from the sheepfold. I, I saw you following those sheep and I made you ruler over my people and over Israel and I have been with you wherever you have gone and I have cut off your enemies from before you and I've made your name great like the name of a great man on the earth. Moreover, listen, I will appoint a place for my people in Israel and I will plant them that they may dwell in a place of their own and move no more. Nor shall the sons of wickedness oppress them anymore as previously since that time that I commanded to be judges over my people Israel, I have caused you to rest from all your enemies. Listen, the Lord tells you, I'm gonna build you a house. David, I, I can't even believe that you wanna do that for me. I'm so moved by this, I'm gonna build you a house. And you know what? You're my pick for the root of my son, who's the first chief cornerstone of that house. I, I need you to see this man at the end of his life. Listen, at the end of David's life, he actually wasn't allowed to build the house. Anyone ever read the story? He wasn't allowed because he was a man of war, but he took everything he had and he gave it to another generation. See, I, I've watched my own father do this. I've watched prophecies over Resurrection Life Center Church, his church. I've watched prophecy after prophecy not be fulfilled because it was reserved for another generation. I've watched him gather up all the wood he can, gather up all of the stone and all of every, all of the stuff that, and he says, sons, run, run. Don't look back, run. David in his life, his affliction, David's affliction was Solomon's bread. Now we know Solomon didn't steward it maybe the best that he could, but Solomon shows up and because of the price his father paid, Solomon has this beautiful house built for God. He followed the instruction of his father and the consistent test for David was, that actually never seemed to end, was because God was looking for a route and he passed the test of making his highest ambition and dream one that only the next generation could fulfill. And at the end of God's story, he's not rebuilding a ta any other tabernacle other than David's according to Acts 15. David's afflictions became Solomon's bread. David had to fight so Solomon could have rest. First Chronicles 22, nine, I'm almost done. Solomon had rest on all sides because his father ate the bread of affliction. He travails his whole life for another generation. And in Revelation 22, God ends the whole book with Jesus being the root of this crazy man said, I will fight to my last breath. I'm not gonna give sleep to my eyes, slumber to my eyelids until I find a place for God. 
Can there be a generation that's consistent enough, not just for 2022, but for 2025 and 2027 and 2030 and 2040 and 2050 when our kids are in their 30s and 40s and 50s? Can there be a generation that is willing to pay the price of affliction for the sake of rest for our children to come? I figure, I figure if I start now while I'm 30, I'm gonna be 30 in, a, in like a week. I figure if I start now while I'm 30, what is it gonna be like when I'm 60 if I make my whole pursuit that my son, by the time he's 30, that we can walk into a church building and I can watch our children worship on stage. We can watch our children run with the fire of God and all of these visions and dreams that we've had that though the vision tarry, we're gonna wait for it. If we haven't seen it and we're 40, we're not changing the channel. If we haven't seen it and we're 50, we're not gonna change the channel because listen, I've seen an apostolic example in my life that said, I will not change the channel. And now we are watching the next generation do what only the next generation could fulfill because they gathered up the wood. David's secret was he inquired of him in all circumstances and he worshiped him in all seasons. And this tabernacle that God is rebuilding is David's. It's not the prettiest, it's not the loudest, it's not the best looking, but it's the purest and it's the most authentic. It's one that God didn't even ask for. It's one that God didn't even give instruction for. He found a man after his own heart and David said, Lord, would you be okay if I just throw a tent up in the wilderness and throw the glory inside of it? Is that, I just wanna worship you. And Moses' tabernacle had no worship in it. But then you get to David's and all they would do is worship the Lord day and night and minister before his throne day and night in the middle of the desert. This is where I'm gonna end as you stand to your feet. There's a secret that God is releasing to us. There's transition coming, church. There's transition coming. And there's a secret that God is releasing through the life of this man that we have built our whole church on, Psalms 132. Our whole church is we want to have a house that God can dwell in, of course, individually. But you see, we've got, how many of you remember when I talked about Deuteronomy 11.10 and 11.11? Deuteronomy 11.10 is, I'm taking you from your personal gardens that you used to water, and I'm crossing you over into a land that takes the reins of heaven. Your personal anointing, it's not about your personal anointing, it's about the corporate glory that's gonna fall on a church. Because the Bible that I read says, apostles, prophets, teachers, pastors, evangelists, until, everyone say until. Everyone say until like you mean it and wanna be here. Until we all, until we all become one perfect man in the unity of faith. There's only one man in the kingdom and his name is Jesus Christ. And you're either in him or you're outside of him. So the more we come together, the more we become one, the more glory that we're gonna see. So we can't forsake the gathering of the people. We have to be a body. We can't just be individual houses. We have to corporately be the house of God. Place of heaven on earth. There's a secret to building that house. And it's don't be surprised when affliction comes. Don't be surprised when it's hard. Don't be surprised when there's pressure. Just keep pushing. Just keep inquiring. Because there's about to be this beautiful moment but you have to deal with the friction of the travail. You have to. Because if you stop pushing, you're gonna hurt the baby and you're gonna hurt yourself. There's no going back. Anyone, according to Luke 9, 62, that's put his hand to the plow looking behind him is not fit for the kingdom of God. It's time to move forward. Second Chronicles chapter 20, and then I promise you I'm done. And then is it okay if we just worship for like a minute? All right, it's probably gonna be longer than a minute, but we're gonna worship. I don't wanna be a liar. Second Chronicles chapter 20, verse, starting in verse seven, and this story is King Jehoshaphat, he's the king over Judah. Dana sent this to me last night. She said, do you have anything to preach yet? I said, nope, we'll see what happens tomorrow morning. She said, well, maybe just look at Second Chronicles 20. So Pastor Dana, we thank you for leading us into this. And I saw it and I said, that's it. It, it's perfect, it lines up perfectly. Because what made David different was how he inquired and how he worshiped. 
what caused him to use the friction and the affliction to produce this great anointing and this great presence was the fact that he was a man that never stopped inquiring of God and knew how to worship him in all seasons. And I'm telling you, worship today is your weapon. Worship is our weapon going into 2022 for your homes, for your families, for this church, for whatever it is that you're a part of, for your business, for your workplace, whatever it is, your school, whatever it is that you are a part of, worship is the weapon. And I feel like we're in this moment. Remember when Paul comes to Timothy and he says, take everything that's ever been declared over your life and turn it into a weapon that leads you into the next thing. Turn it into a weapon. I feel like the Lord is saying over Risen Nation Church, everything that's been declared over this house since 2014, I want you to turn it into a weapon that is gonna ambush the enemy of anything trying to come against you. And so in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, King Jehoshaphat is scared because he finds out that these armies are coming against him. And here's what happens in verse seven. Jehoshaphat says, are you not our God who drove out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and gave it to the descendants of Abraham, your friend forever? And they dwell in it and have built you a sanctuary in it for your name saying, if disaster comes upon us, sword, judgment, pestilence, or famine, we will stand before the temple in his presence. If everything comes against us, we're gonna stand in his temple before his presence. I love this. And cry out to you in our affliction and you will hear and you will save. Verse 10, and now here are the people of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir whom you would not let Israel invade when they came out of the land of Egypt, but they have turned from them and they did not destroy them. Verse 11, but here they are, Lord. They're trying to reward us by coming to throw us out of your possession with which you have given us to inherit. Verse 12, oh, our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power against this great multitude. I mean, King Jehoshaphat is in stress. He is weak. He says, will you not come in great power and deliver us? I love this. For we have no power against this great multitude that is coming against us, nor do we even know what to do. Listen to this, but our eyes are on you. See, we may not know what 2022 fully holds, but our eyes are on the shepherd. Our eyes are on him. Listen, verse 13, now all Judah with their little ones, their wives and their children stood before the Lord. This is what we're gonna do today. They stood before the Lord. And then I'm jumping to verse 15. Do not be afraid nor dismayed because of this great multitude for the battle is not yours, but it's God's. Verse 17, you will not need to fight in this battle. Just position yourselves, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord who is with you, O Judah and Jerusalem. Do not fear nor be dismayed. Tomorrow, go out against them. He says, I want you to go out against them tomorrow for the Lord is with you. And Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground and all of Judah and its inhabitants of Jerusalem followed suit and they bowed down and they worshiped God. And then you get to verse 21. And when he had consulted with the people, he appointed those, here it is, who should sing to the Lord and who should praise the beauty of holiness as they went out before the army and were saying, praise the Lord for his mercy endures forever. So they sent the worshipers out ahead of them now, when they began to sing and praise, I love this. My dad prophesied this on Christmas Eve. When they began to sing and worship, the Lord set up ambush against the armies that were against them. The Lord set up ambush. It's like, if you would just worship me, if you would just inquire me, if you would just praise, all you'll have to do is be in the right position at the right time, standing still, lifting your hands, and I'm gonna be setting up ambush against everything that's coming against you in your life. Listen. When they began to sing, God set up ambush. And then you get to verse 24. So when Judah came up to their place, I love it. Imagine, you know, him who ascends, who can ascend the hill of the Lord, but him with clean hands and a pure heart. How many of you know worship is an ascension? Worship is an ascension. So this describes Judah walked up to a place where they were overlooking the wilderness. They went up in their worship and they're overlooking the wilderness. And when they looked into the wilderness, they looked toward the multitude all they saw was dead bodies. We don't know how to clap for that. I'm telling you, God is about to destroy everything that the enemy's ever set up against you. And he's about to ambush, listen, everything that is coming against your family, everything that's coming against your kids, that sickness, I feel this in the room. There's a daughter, there's a daughter inside of this room that is dealing with a sickness. I am telling you, it is not unto death. 
but it is onto a great testimony that'll speak of the life and the glory of God. Your weapon is your worship. Your weapon is your affection, and you can choose to sulk in the affliction, or you can choose to step into affection and say, God, in my worst moments, I worship you. God, when it's not pretty, I worship you. God, in the, the doctor's office, in, in the hospital room, when there's blood everywhere, and the head is coming out, I'm gonna worship you because there's a blessing that is about to be travailed out of a people that have learned how to exercise the eternity out of them who are not afraid of suffering, who are not afraid of persecution. Whatever was against you, I'm prophesying to you now. Lift your hands. Whatever is against you is about to work for you. And whatever has been in opposition is about to, to experience a great ambush from the Lord. Kevin, can you play that part of wonderful, beautiful, glorious? The Bible, it says, listen, the Bible that I read says, in my weakness, his strength is perfected. Let the weak say, I am let the weak say, I am strong. 2022, 2022 is not your year. It is not your year. 2022 is a year that belongs to the Lord. 2023 is the year that belongs to the Lord. 2024 is the year that belongs to the Lord. My house is a house that belongs to the Lord. Your house is a house that belongs to the Lord. And nothing, listen, is going to be able to stop us. We are resolute. It is our New Year's resolution that we will not change. We will not falter. We will not go to the left or the right. We're not going to go forward or backward. We're going to behold the Lamb of God. And God is going to show up in a way like we've never experienced in our entire life. Lift up our hands. Jesus, Jesus, we say that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. Come on, Kevin, play it. You are the same yesterday, today, and forever. And we commit this house to you. I thank you, God, that transition is coming and transition is gonna be beautiful. God, I thank you that you have built your house. You have built your house in affliction and in power, in presence, in pressure. God, let a bomb go off of the glory here. Come on, lift it, lift it, lift it. Lift it, lift it, lift it. Come on, worship is our weapon. Every hand lifted, every eye closed. Begin to worship the Lord. Begin to worship the Lord. Begin to worship the Lord. everything. God is about to ambush everything. His mercy and His love is about to ambush everything. I want you to come to the front and I want you to worship with us. We're going to take 10 minutes and we're just going to worship the Lord into 2022. And then we're going to have maybe a dance a little bit. But there's nothing better that we could be doing in this moment. There's nothing more profound that we can be doing in this moment. If you need healing, come up and worship Jesus. If you need deliverance, come up and worship Jesus. I promise it's about to be a weapon that is gonna demolish every cancer cell in your body. It's gonna demolish every sickness, every headache, every constant migraine. I command it to leave now in Jesus' mighty name. In Jesus' mighty name, I command every ounce of, of arthritis to leave right now in Jesus' name. We command ears to pop open and eyes to see. God, I thank you that worship is our weapon. As we worship, don't come up. And just stand here. Lift your hands. Close your eyes. 
I want worship to be like a sword in our hands today, and it's going to launch us into this new year. Lift it, lift it loud, lift it loud.
Jesus name we thank you Lord that as we leave this room this morning as we leave this place this morning God we thank you for your word this morning we thank you for your presence this morning Jesus we thank you for who you are this morning God we thank you Jesus I pray Lord that as we leave this place with joy and with praise and with thankfulness God that in the year 2022 the people of risen nation father we can say, Father, that our first reaction to everything will be worship. That our first reaction to everything will be praise. That our first reaction, our first move, and our only move will be worship. And it will be praise and thanksgiving because you are great and you will do great things among this people in Jesus' mighty name. And with a loud shout one more time, say amen. amen. Come on. Hallelujah. We worship you. We love you guys. Thank you again for listening to the Habitation Podcast. I pray that your life was impacted and most of all your heart drawn closer to the Lord. Stay up to date with us by going to habitationministries.org where you can follow us, the events we have going on around the world. You can become a financial partner and most of all, you can partner with us through prayer. And lastly, if you're interested in joining our membership school, please visit schoolofhabitation.org to find out more. For only $50 a month, you can join our worldwide online community and receive live weekly teaching from myself, guest speakers, and other SOH pastors. We will also have online discipleship, Bible reading, and prayer rooms. Be sure to check it out today.